Thanks for joining us today on the Port City Church Podcast. With multiple campuses existing within Southeastern North Carolina, our mission is to be helpful and hopeful as we reach people and help them walk with God. To learn more about the heart behind our church, we encourage you to visit us at portcity.church. Good morning. It is uh, so good to be uh, back here with you in this capacity together. uh, Summer has been um, just so good for um, me personally. It's not because I've been taking uh, time off. I haven't enjoyed some time off, but it's given me a chance, uh, which I try to do every summer, to participate in ways that I don't get to normally participate in, to uh, hear, and this summer particularly, we began this back in uh, really in the, the late winter, early spring, Clay and I talking about summer and what it would be like. And the question came up, what if we treated summer like a Sabbath? And so I'm, I'm so, what was so exciting to me is one is to hear from all the different voices uh, this summer, Jeff and Carson and Josh and Laura Lynn and Clay. Did y'all enjoy getting to hear from so many different voices? They did, everybody did so good. Um, which is so important for our church. It is so important for um, the future of our church. And the fact that it felt like we were doing summer Sabbath together. And I know all of us did it differently. And I've heard people who said, oh, I, I wasn't good at listening to the podcast. So you can be good or bad at such a thing, right? Uh, it's not about that. It's about how we are willing to learn how to participate and to do things together. And um, it was just, it was such a, you know, to me, it was so powerful to um, see this in such capacity. Sometimes I was sitting back there in one of the services. Um, other times I came and attended with my family. One day I got to go and hang out in Treasure Island. One day I was sitting, uh, last week I was actually uh, sitting outside of a Starbucks uh, in New York City watching Carson. Like, Carson's my son-in-law, so I was like super nervous for him. I was like, oh God, please let him do good. And I was just, I couldn't believe like how the voices and how consistent and how it felt so much like who we were, who we are. And a lot of that's because of the way Clay and a lot of our other um, kind of team has been leading our church just more pervasively than at any point uh, in the history of our church. It's starting to get where it's not led from me in this place. And it's starting to become kind of a push throughout our entire body, which is a huge thing for us. And so I've gotten to kind of see that and watch that and to celebrate that um, this year. I also think it's um, worthwhile acknowledging uh, if you did do the podcast. And the reality is if you, have, if you didn't do them or you did them for the first week and you forgot, they're still up. Like it is a great resource for your personal devotion time. So go ahead and start back over. You can start back over the beginning and still probably get a lot out of them. It helps us to stop what we're doing and to trust and have the Psalms read over us. And I just want to say a huge thank you to Tony Rippa who put together most all of the content that we heard um, throughout the week. So Tony, thank you so much for the vision, the hard work, um, and letting, letting all of us who got to read uh, them and to uh, present them to be so, it's such, such a great, great honor to do that. So all that's been happening, and we've been looking at this idea of summer as a Sabbath, and we wanna conclude that. As I, summer is my favorite time of year. I only need one season. Um, if it's summer all year long, I'm totally fine with it. I know a lot of you guys like all four seasons. It's overrated. I like just hot 
humid, the beach all year long. I don't care about any other seasons, but it's gonna happen, right? Summer's gonna end and it's gonna be fall for like, you know, a couple of months. Then it'll be spring for a couple of weeks. It'll be summer again, right? And we'll get a winter for like two days, but you know the drill. And um, so we wanna be mindful. In fact, I wrote a whole book about this idea of bringing things to a sense of close. This began years ago talking about finishing our years well. And now it's kind of morphed into really paying attention to seasons is how we bring things to a sense of close. We wanna close out this summer Sabbath together. We've been saying this for the last 11 weeks, and this will be on the screen, that Sabbath is a time set apart to rest, to rest, to experience rest as we deliberately stop working and we trust in God's provision. One of the things that I found for me personally, I guess I'll read the whole thing, as we deliberately stop working and trust in God's provision, Uh, The invitation to Sabbath is to take a deep breath as we cease striving and place our worries and our cares at the feet of Jesus. I know this past, uh, two weeks ago, we had a summer Sabbath retreat for our entire staff. And you know, I know a lot of people think that like, I only work one day a week, here all the time. Um, We have an extremely hardworking, competent staff um, throughout all of our campuses at Port City Community Church. Very, very very hardworking, very competent. We took an entire half day to cease striving and stop working. We didn't have our leadership meeting on Wednesday. Instead, we spent, you know, from uh, I think about 10 o'clock to two o'clock doing a Sabbath. Clay and Andy and Jessica led us through this time together. And I'll tell you, I woke up that morning and um, it was a Wednesday morning. Normally I get up pretty early. I get here, especially for Wednesday staff meetings, get ready to go. And um, I, was, I was in there and I, I was like, okay. And then we did not have leadership that day because we were gonna prepare to do our Sabbath retreat at 10 o'clock. So now I have all this time from like 6.30 or seven until 10 o'clock. And what do you immediately think? I can get some work done. I can get lots of work done. I can like carve all the three hours I'm losing in this Sabbath retreat thing we're doing and cram it into these three hours and get a lot of work done. You know what I did? I got up, I went surfing. And, and listen, hold on, hold on. Don't, <laughs> because, but here, here's, what was, here's what I realized. I came in and I was talking to class. I said, the hardest thing about this for me this summer is to stop working. It is proven to be, I didn't realize how, because I love what I do. Like I love, my kids are grown. Like I've got lots, you know, I love what I do. I can work a lot of hours. I did not realize how hard it was. And I feel like I trust God for his provision, but a lot of times I trust him because he's honoring what I'm doing. And so to kind of really work to break some of that was a big lesson for me to begin to learn uh, this summer and then sort of the new rhythm of my life. We began this whole season talking about the fact that rest is trust. It's not a luxury, it's a necessity. It's not a necessity because we gotta sleep and rest, we can do more. It's because if we don't learn how to position ourselves, we are not going to experience what our faith is actually designed to do, what God actually intends to do with and through our lives. And so sort of the first layer that we learn is how I sum it up is that Sabbath rest is a posture to receive God's provision. You can't do this in a hurry. You can't do this on the fly and you can't do it on the go. Like at some point, and listen, I know that is completely countercultural. 
You know, I have been trying to do this for the better part of the last 30 years of my life to carve out time in the morning to deliberately say, Lord, can I honor you this day? Can I stop? Can I cease striving? And now I'm learning how to do some other things with that. But it's been that posture. And there is no shortcut to that. If you run yourself ragged, you are going to run yourself ragged. That's just the react, And it's going to crush your soul. So this is a gift to us. But Sabbath rest is also preparation. And what all of us think is, oh, it's preparation to get back to what we were doing. Not so fast. Not so fast. Y'all remember this? Dude, the 80s, this is, just brings it all back, doesn't it? I actually bought me a swatch this week, man, because I was so excited about the 80s. I was in, we went to New York and uh, for my, my, my kids, my daughter and wife wanted to go and they took me to go. So what do you want to do? So I, don't, I just want to go to the Swatch store. That's what I did. So the Rubik's Cube, uh, the most popular puzzle uh, on the planet. I actually used to be able to do this. Uh, I can't do it anymore. So I can only solve one color. But you know what you do, right? When you buy these things, all colors are matched on all six sides. And that's the way things are supposed to be. And then you immediately like mess it up. And then you try to, get it back to the way that it was. And this is actually a really good picture for how a lot of us think about what we're preparing for, what we're to do. This was sort of exasperated or driven when the pandemic hit in March of 2020, when the first lines of almost everybody's mouth was, we've got to get back to normal. We've got to get back to the way things were. And if you remember in that first message, I said, we are not going back to normal because we believe that God wants us to go somewhere different than what was happening. We're not trying to return to the way things that we were, but the problem is that we view the world as a problem, and we all know that whenever you have a problem, the thing that you need to do is to do what? A problem needs a what? A solution, right. And this is how everything works. And a solution requires some version or some understanding, some vision of what things should be like. And often the only thing we have is the way it was when it seemed to be working or it seemed to be all together in the first place. And we do that, we rob ourselves of all the things that are unfolding in front of us and before us. The whole way in which we as efficient, um, sort of Western thinking, individually minded type A people, we tend to, you identify a problem, you craft a solution, you work a solution, and then you solve the problem. And that's, that's the way in which we make our lives work. And we start to thinking that just one more twist and one more turn and one more this, and one more, oh, you'll finally get it. And so you're getting faster and faster and more furious. And the more you demand that things work out, the greater the pressure. Last week, um, you know, Carson made this statement. He said, obsessing over control generates more worry than certainty ever did. A lot of us have this myth that we can just know how things are gonna be. And so we try to hold on to this control and it's just never going to be that way. So there's something else. So my, my, my question is, what is it that we're preparing for if we're not preparing to solve the problems that are in front of us? Perhaps it's to see something that you haven't considered before. One of my favorite stories in the Bible, it comes from Joshua chapter three. That's what we'll be looking at today. Um, Joshua three is the story of Joshua uh, leading the people out of the wilderness and into the promised land. Moses led the people out of slavery 
in bondage in Egypt, and he led them for 40 years in the desert. And then Joshua is leading the people out of that wandering and into this place of promise. It's an it's a incredible story, and, and I love the way that he it, it talks about this because there's this season of wandering that's about to come to an end, and this season of promise that's about to, to begin. There's one thing that's coming to a conclusion, and, and we can talk about this, I and mean, I don't have time today. Um, I, I guess I do. You don't want me to have time today to do this. But if, if when one thing comes to an end, you've got to bring it to a close. Otherwise, it just gets run into whatever's next and it just creates this chaos. We don't ever begin to see why certain things mattered or how certain things play a part in what God is ultimately doing. What I've learned about this is that God ultimately isn't interested or about solving our problems. What His promise is, is in the redemption of all things. And it's, very, it's a very different way of viewing the world and viewing the circumstances that you and I face. And he asks us to do something very specific. And this is what I wanna talk about today. We prepare ourselves for God's promise of redemption and not the solutions to the problems that we've identified. I want you to hear that. A lot of us are fixers and you're trying to fix relationships and you're trying to fix problems and you're trying to protect and all, and you can't, you can't. There's something else that God is doing. So here's what happens, and I, I love this. This is one of my, like I said, it just feels so forward in this. We're about to go out of the desert. We're about to go out of this one season into this next season. Joshua chapter three, verse two. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp. So they've organized this, how it's gonna be communicated. The officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and you're to follow it. So basically the Ark of the Covenant is this symbolic, it's this box with the, ten, with the commandments in it, some other things in it, and they carry it around as a symbol, a reminder of God's presence, that God is with them. And so he says, when the priests pick this Ark up and they take off, you move out from your positions and you get into place because there's something that's about to happen. Then you will know so get, move out from your positions and follow it. It's important, follow it. Then you will know which way you are to go. Since why? Since you have never been this way before. It's a really important thing for us to hold on to. <clears throat> Keep a distance, about 2,000 cubits. It's about a, a little over half a mile between you and the ark. Do not go near it, it's a whole other message. Verse five, so Joshua tells the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. And Joshua said then to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and they went out ahead of them. Then the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of Israel so that they will know what? That you're the man, know that I am with you, that I am God. You begin to see the priorities. I want them to understand that I am with you in the same way that I was with Moses. So tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant. Here's what you're to tell them. When you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and walk in the river. Actually stand in the river. Go put your feet in the water. Then he gives them some other, other promises. And then in verse 13, he says this. As soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, as soon as these priests set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and will stand up in a heap. They'll be parted. This is the second parting of water 
that the Israelites experienced. First is the Red Sea, now they got the Jordan River. It's all in your Bible. It's interesting. When you're about to come out of one season and into the next season, it's like you're ending one thing and you're at the starting line of another and you're like thinking like, let's go. And Joshua says, let's stop. Consecrate yourselves. We're about to go somewhere. Consecrate yourselves. Why? The way I paraphrase this is because you have no idea what's going to happen next. And you have to be prepared for that. Because if you aren't prepared for that, guess what you're going to prepare yourself for? You're going to prepare yourself for the way things have always been. And this is just not what God is asking us. This is not what he is leading us into. Joshua tells them to consecrate themselves. It literally means to set yourselves apart, to declare something as holy, or to say this is solely and specifically for God's purpose. So part of what he's asking you and I do at the close of a season, of all the things that you have on you, all the demands on your time, all the pulls, is to set yourself apart and say, Lord, everything that I am is gonna be set apart solely and specifically for whatever you want to do. That's a big thing. That's a big, it's a hard thing. And he says to do this because what is about to happen is perhaps different than what you think it's going to be. Most of us, we, wait, we, we forecast our whole lives. You get out of school, you get a, out of high school, you get go into college, you get out of college, you get a job, you get a job. You know, all these things are sort of, and, and if they don't work out in the way that we want, we sort of feel out of control. And there's something that God has done we have to pay attention to, we have to learn to see. What he does, and this is why this is so important, because he led them out of, of this place where they're about to go into the promised land. And he leads them straight into another obstacle, straight into another place where the odds are stacked against them. And what I love is, and this is, this is part of what I think is so powerful about this whole idea. He says to consecrate yourselves because tomorrow things might be really different. Consecrate yourselves tomorrow because you have no idea what is going to come, what is going to be in front of you. And I think this is an invitation for us to seize the present moment, to consider the moment that we're in. Are you willing to trust God with what is next? You can work and try to control everything that is to come, or you can position yourself to trust Him, to follow Him. And this is exactly what He is asking us to do. If you notice what He says in the next part, He says, send the priests into the river. And when the priests get into the river, then the waters will back up. Notice the order of operations. Your feet get wet, then the waters will part. That is not how we prefer it, right? We would be like, yo, part the waters, then we go in. That, that's what makes sense. He says, no, you go in, then the waters will part. There are a lot of people, a lot of us, perhaps you, who are standing on the edge of the water wondering why God hasn't acted on your behalf. And the reason is because your feet are still dry. He has asked you to take a risk, to take a chance, to get your feet wet so that you can experience the provision and the miracle and the presence that he extends to us. I can't tell you how many stories in my own life reflect this. There have been some really small miracles that no one would think are any big deal. There have been some other things that are just head scratching because I cannot believe that it turned out to be that way. What I want you to understand 
And maybe one of the things that's so important for us to understand is that when God you know, does this, it's interesting. So they, they, they go through, and this is sort of an aside, but they, they, they step in, the waters pile up in a heap, and then everybody goes through. And I think we imagine like it's just like this leisurely stroll through the river. But think about this. This is like a lot of people, an entire nation walking through these part of waters. I don't think they're like casually strolling. They're like pushing. The, you don't know how long this miracle is going to last, man. You're like, let's get to the other side. So you get all the way through the other side. The whole nation gets across. They're like, oh my gosh, we made it. And then God says to them, I want you to send 12, the priests, send them back into the middle of the river and grab some rocks. Like, wait a minute. That means he's got to hold this back a little bit longer. And like, we're already on the fringe. We just got a lot of people through here. Now you're telling us to go back in. And wants them to set up this, this, these stones. And he says, I want you to set these stones so that your children, when they ask, what is this pile of rocks for? He wants to say, well, back in the 80s, man, when everybody wore mullets, things were so much better then. Right? He says, no, I want you to, I want you to be able to say God is faithful. Present tense, God is faithful. That all the things that God has done in our past serve to this to reminder that God is faithful in this moment. I mean, one of the things that, you know, that, that scared me, frankly, about five or six years ago is that all the stories of God's faith would be told 15 or 20 years ago. I mean, I don't want to be a part of a church like that. I want to be a part of a church that, you know, that we're telling stories 10 years from now about today, about this moment in time. I want to continue to walk by faith and to trust him for what he wants to do in and through us. And so this is part of the invitation that you and I are being asked to be prepared for. So here's how this works. When I was, uh, I bought this when I was probably in, I don't know, I had one of these uh, in middle school and high school. I wanted to solve it so bad I couldn't do it. And there was no YouTube back then. You couldn't just YouTube it. So remember, I found a book at the mall. My mom would take us and we'd get to buy books so often. I found a book and the book was How to Solve the Rubik's Cube in One Minute. Yes, not only will I solve it, I will solve it fast. And isn't like, that's our love language, right? And so I remember like, you know, you open the book and you follow the steps and you solve the problem. And a lot of us, this is what we think is gonna happen. You open the book, you follow the steps, and God solves the problem. Remember the series we did on, called The Good Book? The purpose of this is not to give you instructions on how to solve the problem. It's to reveal God's love, his pursuit, his promise of redemption. It's to reveal who he is and how he is so that you know him and learn to trust him, not learn how to use his principles to get your will done. When you and I tell stories of wet feet and stacked stones, you don't start by walking in the river. You begin with the charge, the command to consecrate yourselves to set something apart, to be still and to know that he is God. To be still and to know that he is, as we mentioned earlier, right, that he is great in all of his vastness, that he is good and he can be trusted, that he is near and he'll be with us. That we consecrate ourselves, be reminded of those things. We stop working and we trust in what he is providing for us. 
God did not make us, right? He did not make us simply to follow instructions. He created us to walk with him. He created us to live in a relationship with him. And the thing that he is asking us to do is to trust him. Clear instructions might be the most efficient way to execute your plans, but trust is the only possible way you will experience a relationship. It's the only way. So here's what I would suggest that you do. There are two lists that all of us have almost all the time, and there's a third list that we need. So here's the first list. The first list is things I would like for God to do, right? This, we are, everybody has this list. And this, this list is usually the most obvious and it shows up in the way that you and I instinctively pray, right? God, make me rich. Have ever prayed that? Just me? Okay, sorry. Um, God, fix this person. God, solve this. God, pay this. God, do that. God, provide. Like, those, are, those are all the things that we would like for God to do for us. This is an easy list. And let me, let me be really clear. I'm not for a moment suggesting that you shouldn't bring all of your requests to God, but you should. And my point is that you just pretty much instinctively have this list based on what you wake up and want. God, could you do this for me? I don't think God's offended or bothered by that at all. I think we just need to make sure that we're aware that there's more. That's list number one. Second list that we have is the things that I would do if I were God. This is a fun list. This is like, there ain't no way I'd be sitting in traffic because I would part it like the Jordan River, right? It'd be like over, I'd be right on through. Um, the person that crossed me, <laughs> you know what happened to them, right? You have this list, what would you do if you were God? I can tell you if I were God, there's no possible, I would just like part the waters and let them go through, make everything, I make everything as smooth and as, as possible, right? But God is doing something different. I can tell you if I were God, there ain't no way I would let someone put a nail on my wrist. I can assure you of that. I think about this. Jesus says, I have legions of angels that I would call down and they would come to my defense. I tell you, there'll be some people who are burnt to a crisp on that day. <clears throat> if I were God, you would do the same thing. <laughs> There's never, I know he would. So that's list number two, list number two. You know, think about this. If, if we had God's power, we would make the world better by making our lives run more smoothly. And I think the reason that we do that is because we don't understand how broken the world really is. We think that somehow if we just did something better, the world would run like it's supposed to. It's only going to run like it's supposed to when Jesus is returned to his rightful place as king permanently and forever at the end of this age. And in the meantime, God isn't asking us to make the world run better. He's asking us to participate and to bring his kingdom to bear, which is not solving all the problems, but it's bringing redemption in every place that you and I get to touch. And so this brings me to the third question. And this is, this is hard. The third question is things 
that God actually intends to do. I've pretty much resolved that God does not intend for me to be fully and finally in control of kind of the master of my own destiny. As much as I've asked him for that. God, if you do this, I'd be able to do this. He's like, I'm not interested in that. God is also not interested in my personal comfort in the way that I want him to be. You know, we're going to hear about this for the next three or four months when we talk about sort of where we're going as a church. But when I started asking God, Lord, can you help me see the world the way that you see it? Um, There are things that have broken my heart in places that I I, I got enough to worry about. I didn't need that. There There are people, they're not issues, they're people who struggle that I'm learning how to care about more deeply. I'm trying to press in and understand my own willingness to do this. When we say, God, what do you actually intend to do? It requires us to open our hands, to relinquish control and to welcome the process by which he gives us vision for him. We have to be prepared because where we are going is probably somewhere we have not been before. His promise is redemption. And that means God uses everything, everything, even the hardest things, the most uncertain things for the story that he's telling. Everybody wants clarity and this perfect picture so we can know when we reach the solution. And God is always asking us to trust him. He's always asking us to trust him. One of the most powerful lessons I've learned over the last 23 years and beyond is that our understanding of how God is going to do something has no bearing on his capacity to do it. It's astounding. I can't tell you how many times I've gotten a clear vision and then started calculating, oh, if this happens and this happens and this happens, oh, then we'll be there. And none of it happens. I'm like, that's it, the whole thing's over. And then it happens in some way that I didn't see coming. Like just, I didn't see it coming. And my, my confidence at this point in the life of our church is that we are learning and we are growing and our vision growing, in, in growing as, as a people. I don't, I don't care about how big um, our church is. I care about who we become. I want everybody to know, like, don't, don't get me wrong, but we're not trying to build tenants. We're trying to, we're trying to understand what it looks like to live in God's kingdom. And we have to be very careful not to project our will onto his. And I am very confident that God is doing something in and through the church that we do not, we do not yet see. We just don't. Everybody's gonna try. Oh, go back and I'm convinced we do not yet see it. And the only way we will come to see it is to follow him, to trust him, to listen to him, to move when he says move, to take the kind of risks that are going to be required of us, that are gonna require incredible faith. You know, I guess I can say this. I haven't been here in a long time, so what is it gonna matter anyway, right? Richie and I were talking. I said, 
if we, if we go down, I want to go down doing something like, God, we, we are going for it, than trying to preserve what we had two or three or four or five years ago. And I'm convinced that, that there is such a, such a beauty that is available for us. I think that the world is desperate to see. But we cannot project our will onto His. We have no idea how God is going to do what He intends. And just because we don't know or understand has no, capacity, no bearing on His capacity to actually get it done if we're willing to trust. God didn't give us a set of instructions, right? So you can follow them carefully, execute it perfectly, and then go, did it. He invites us to trust, to trust. So as we close, this isn't a function of whether we're ready. It's a function of whether we're willing. Are you willing? Consecrate yourselves because tomorrow God is prepared to do something that perhaps you've never seen. How cool would that be? Father, thank you for this summer. We want to cherish this season for what you have taught us um, and what you have invited us to learn. I know there are people in this room who they think they have done the podcast badly or they have not done it the way that it should be done. But the reality is there were all sorts of attempts and actions and stops and prayers and steps that occurred over the last 11 weeks. And God, they were done out of faith, trusting and hoping that you would do something with it. So God, we celebrate that. I pray that as we, you know, that you would give grace for us to remember as much the things that we did right or did with faith um, as you, you know, as we are easily reminded of the things that we don't. And God, most importantly today, I pray that we would consecrate ourselves. We would set ourselves apart as holy. I know there's a lot of people in here who are working so hard and giving themselves so fully to all kinds of things that matter deeply and they matter to your heart. And God, my, my gut prayer is, would you make it a little easier? And I know that's what we all want. And sometimes it just isn't. And so in, when it isn't, I ask that you would just give us sufficient faith to endure. You give us wisdom to know what steps to take, when and how. And that God, there'll be miraculous provision in ways that we just did not see coming. Father, would you call us and draw us in the kind of church that you want us to be? And I lift this to you. In your son, Jesus, who is our king. Would you stand together as we declare this, together as we close our time?